And it's just audio, guys. It's just audio. Yeah, it's just the audio. Okay. You can okay, take your great. pants off. It doesn't matter to us. Yeah. Great. <laughs> Two, Recap and Gallon, the podcast where four old millennials talk about the high school and college movies from back in the day when we were high school and college students to find out what made the grade and what should have been held back. Representing the class of 03, I am your co-host Crooks. Joining me this week and every week, he sings like an angel and drinks like a fish. The class of 04's own Big Hearn, David Oscar Hernandez. What up, Dave? Not too much, man. Uh... I got my beer here, Riverlands Brewing Company. Really hey. psyched. This is, man, I'm really excited about this episode. Let's just get to it. Can't wait. Same, same. Uh, also, joining us in the class of 03, she is one half of our very own Texas two-step, the one and only big sis, Megan Mills. What up, Megan? Hey, doing pretty good today. It's actually a gorgeous day in Austin. Um, I think it only got up to 90, so it's a nice, cool summer day. Oh, is that all? Yeah. A ball right, right? Very nice. And rounding out the two-step, this podcast's chief camping and trivia correspondent from the class of 01, Dana Griffin. What up, Dana? Not much. Uh, kind of the same energy as Dave today. Just uh, real excited and looking forward to this one today. I've been a ball of nerves and energy, so... <laughs> really excited that we're we're finally recording it. So yeah, just looking forward it, to this one today. <laughs> we made it. So the reason that we are all so excited is because joining us this week, representing the class of 1980, if he would have stayed in high school until 80, you've seen him in Mr. Show with Bob and David, and of course, Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul as Saul Goodman and Jimmy McGill, the one and only Bob Odenker. What up, Bob? Hey, Brian. Hey, it's good to be here. And uh, I hope I can add something to this. I'm so far away from my high school years. And as you pointed out, I didn't really, uh, I didn't really have high school years. I kind of skipped through it pretty quick. Um, but and the school and this movie is very much about high school. Um, so I'll do what I can to help out. Yeah, I think you're going to do more than enough to chip in here. Um, before we get into the movie itself and getting talking about it and all that, uh, I wanted to ask you what you were like in high school. Um, you went oh. to Naperville North. Uh, yeah. Megan, Dave, and I went to Nequa Valley, which is basically Naperville South. Um, so what were you like back in 1978, 1979, when this movie came out? Yeah, 79, that's when I graduated. Um, I, I was very young. Let's start that way. I went to, <laughs> I went to college when I was 16. So I, I was, I did the math. Uh, uh, I was 13 when I went to high school. And I, I think because I was so young, well, most of my friends were a year older. I was a very silly guy, as I still am. Um, I was always goofing around. Uh, I got good grades because I read a lot. I like to read. I just like to read. So that just kind of automatically boosts you wherever you are in school. And um, I goofed around. I made jokes all the time. I was kind of a class clown. But the teachers tended to cut me a lot of slack. Uh, <laughs> they, they liked my jokes. And I think I was pretty harmless in a way. I had one teacher who couldn't take it and made my mom come in for a lecture. and. Um, I had to write an apology note to the teacher. No. Um, but then I, I had friends who were a year older than me. I did not smoke pot. I promised myself I would not smoke pot in high school. My dad was an alcoholic. And as a result, I had a, I've always had, you know, kind of a intense relationship around uh, alcohol and pot and things like that. I, I did drink, interestingly enough. <laughs> I drank a fair amount in high school. Um, with my friends who were all older and uh, I wasn't a nerd but I hung out with the nerds and I was certainly wasn't a jock but I didn't hate the jocks I kind of knew some of them they all thought I 
I was like uh, really smart, which I wasn't. Um, <laughs> and then I went to uh, College of DuPage when I was 16. I was All done. Right. I was yeah. done with high school and I did College of DuPage for a year and then I went to Marquette. And, um, you know, look, I, I pretty much had a good time, I'd say. I, I goofed around a lot. We have something in common then. I also went to College of DuPage uh, after I went to Iowa. So I went to Iowa for four years, um, got a degree in marketing, which made me a salesman, which I was garbage at, and then um, went to College of DuPage after that for graphic design. So got that in common there. Yeah, wow, that's I took pretty cool. Some, uh, yeah, I took some gen eds at COD too. There's a lot of, a lot of people who went to Nico ended up taking at least some classes there for whatever reason. I mean, it's it's down the street, so why not, right? It is, yeah. Now I thought I was the only one, yeah. (laughs) No, there's there's a ton of us. Uh, This week, we are talking about Rock and Roll High School from 1979. Uh, Megan, who is in this movie? So, a great cast here. Um, uh, You have our heroine, Riff Randall, played by PJ Souls. Um, who actually, you know, we'll talk about this a little bit later, but became an inspiring female figure to teenage girls around the country since she was such a strong female character. So that was really awesome. Um, Tom Roberts is the, our football player, who's played by Vincent Van Patten. And mm. he was actually a professional tour tennis player during this exact same time this movie was filmed. So it's kind of mm. wild that he was able to do both. Um, then you have Eagle Bauer who is played by Clint Howard. My God. Day Day Young, who's played by Kate Rambo. Backwards. D. Young as Kate Rambo. As Kate Rambo. Mm -hmm. Mary Waranov as Miss Togar. Bill Bartell as Mr. McGee. Dick Miller as the police chief. Mm -hmm. Don Steele, who is actually a DJ in real life, played our DJ Screamin' Steve Stevens. Alex Alias, I don't know how to say her her last name, uh, played Coach Steroid. And then finally, of course, you have the Ramones, Joey, Johnny, Dee Dee, and Marky. Rest in peace all across the board there. Yeah. So if you guys are unfamiliar uh, with this movie, let me give you a quick rundown of the the plot via Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, Vince Lombardi High School continues to lose its school principals. The students are more concerned with rock and roll than their education until the new principal, Miss Evelyn Togar, is hired. She promises to set Vince Lombardi High School straight and get the students' focus back on education. However, a Ramones concert is coming to town, and Riff Randall, the biggest Ramones fan at the high school, plans on getting tickets to the concert in order to give them a song that she wrote entitled Rock and Roll High School. A series of events, including Miss Togar taking away Riff's tickets, a record burning, and a takeover of the high school by Vince Lombardi High students and the Ramones, leads to a school evacuation by the police and an even more surprising ending. Which, you know, given the last couple that we've heard, that's like the most accurate kind of a rundown that we've had in a couple of weeks here. So props to you, Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, yeah. Uh, you can stream this movie right now on HBO Go and on YouTube. Um, I, I did not watch on YouTube, but our good buddy Tony Oaks from the Days of Confused episode told me you can watch the whole thing there. Um, but yeah, I watched on HBO Go. Um, really quick to go around, any of the hosts, had you guys uh, seen this movie before for the podcast? I did. Uh, back in high school, I was a big, uh, I don't want to say punk rocker. That, 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 that sounds kind of... Weird, yeah, you want that. I like punk rock music. I, I, I like the Ramones and a few other bands. And I get, you know, they were in a movie and they did the whole soundtrack. I'm like, oh, psh, I got to check it out. I remember watching it and getting a few laughs and the music. They picked pretty much the perfect repertoire of Ramones songs. I, the, those songs that, that they played during the concert, a bunch of bangers, as we say. Man, back and, to uh, back. Oh, dude. Amazing. Um, and uh, rewatching it again just brought back a lot of those same memories. Um, really, uh, really nice to, to uh, reminisce about that stuff. Yeah. How about you, Megan, Dana? Either one of you guys uh, have experience with the movie before the podcast? Um, I thought I had, and I don't know what movie I thought it was because I definitely this was like <laughs> fresh for me. So when we talked about it before the pod last week. I was like, oh yeah, I've totally seen this. Um, nope, no idea what I was thinking of, but thought this one was really fun and enjoyed watching it. 
Yeah, I, I had not seen this before, but as a fan of musicals and like choreography and dance and stuff like that, um, this was a really fun one, especially because it wasn't, you know, expected or sort of, you know, what we're used to seeing today. It was, it was just really kind of like fun and um, uh, different. So excited to dive in. Yeah, for me, I had also not seen this movie. I had not heard of this movie before uh, talking to Bob about what movie we should do for the podcast, which kind of blows my mind. Like Dave, um, I was very much into like older punk music when I was in high school. Um, the Ramones were big for me, but also, you know, Sex Pistols, The Buzzcocks, uh, Richard Hell and the Voidoids, um, mm. big into uh, Bad Religion. Um, Dead Kennedys, like all of that, if I wasn't listening to hip hop, like that was the soundtrack of my life as a teenager and in college, I worked at Guitar Center for a couple of years selling guitars with a bunch of guys who we would usually get together at somebody's house after our shift ended on like a Friday or Saturday, smoke some reefer, drink yeah. some beers and watch like a random movie. So it's shocking to me this never came up given how many movies we watched, a lot of concert DVDs, all of that, never heard of this movie. So um, yeah, getting to watch it for the podcast was a, was a real treat. Um, Bob, what was your experience with this movie um, that made you want to talk about it for the podcast? Um, you offered me an option of what to watch. I've yeah. never seen, I never saw Guess this movie till, till a week ago. Oh, oh my God. Um, but I don't, that doesn't mean I don't know a lot about it because it's been a part of the culture for a long time. So I, you, it's almost as though I'd seen it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, I've just seen clips of it for so long and a lot, watched the Ramones performances many times because I love the Ramones and these are great performances. Uh, it is kind of a surprising number of performances and kind of a good, a feeling of, obviously you do see them live, uh, in it I don't it's not a live track though right it's uh pre-recorded so. no but it it feels very uh performance it, it feels great it feels like you're watching them you, you they're doing this song for you the way they perform if you ever watch clips of them on you know from CBGBs and stuff which I've watched which are great on YouTube but over mm -hmm. the years I've heard it referenced I've seen clips of it I know about it I didn't know the movie specifically until you offered me to watch it and uh i figured i'd watch it because i've never seen it before completely and so i i hope that's not a bummer <laughs> no but listen, i, I wanted to see something i wanted to see something new and uh and and you know sometimes you think you know a movie and then you watch it and uh i was surprised at the uh sort of sketch comedy uh, vibe of a lot of scenes of this movie. Um, it's somewhere between a narrative and a sketch movie, actually, to me. Mm. Yeah, yeah, we were we were kind of going back and forth about different movies to talk about, and uh, we almost settled. We talked about Porky's for a second there. We almost settled on. I, I don't want to see Porky's. It just seems creepy <laughs> to me. Um, Nobody and, should want to I, see Porky's. I've, I've never seen Porky's, and I have no interest. And uh, oh, I, I did want to, and I did. My wife, when she heard of what I was watching, she was like, "Oh, she, one of her favorite movies is The Beatles. It's the movie about the kids going to see the Beatles." Do you know, guys know what I'm talking is about? That, uh, eight days a week. I think it's called Eight Days a Week. Um, yeah. Or is it, no, know, it's a hard day's night, one of the two. A hard, it's hard the day's night. New, it's the new, no, 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 no. That's, it's a new, it's New York kids going to see the Beatles. Anyway, I'll try to find it. It's one of our favorite movies, but I'm glad I chose this one. Also because I know the next person you're talking to. And I've yeah. always felt I should sit down and watch this movie beginning to end. Yeah, well, that's a fantastic segue because uh, Bob, when we first kind of settled on this movie to watch, just kind of offered up, you know, I actually know uh, Richard Whitley, who wrote the screenplay for the movie. Should we have him come on as well? So he really does a big favor here because joining us right now is Richard Whitley, the man who wrote the screenplay for Rock and Roll High School. So Richard, welcome to the pod. Thanks for showing up with us. Hey, Brian. Uh, thanks. Thanks for having me. Can, am I coming in loud and clear? Okay. Yeah. Clear. You're real clear. This is good. 
Yes, I was uh, thrilled that uh, Bob uh, invited me and connected uh, my, me with all of you guys. A uh, couple things. First of all, the name of that movie is called I Want to Hold Your Hand. And there you go. It was That's what it is. And I was directed by Robert Zemeckis. And I know that uh, not only did I see the movie, but I was an extra in that movie. Um, the Hollywood <laughs> Palace there on Vine um, was standing in for the Ed Sullivan Theater, and I was an extra in it. And they made all of the extras have buzz cuts and short hair because um, the Beatles cut hadn't come in. And my writing partner, my buddy, Russ Devonch, we, we went there in the basement. They were cutting everyone's hair. And I said, you know, I have to go to the bathroom. So I hid in the back um, so they wouldn't cut my hair. But um, uh, <laughs> it, was, it, it, was, it was a great experience. Will Jordan came out as Ed Sullivan. So that's a fun movie. Um, but, um, but anyways, I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled and, uh, excited to be here to talk about rock and roll high school. That's great. Listen, um, right off the bat, can you take a quick second, kind of tell us how this movie came together from a screenwriting standpoint? Um, sure. Um, I, I went to, uh, college, uh, at Southern Illinois University in Carbondale, Illinois. All you guys are talking about the suburbs of Chicago. I'm from Elmhurst. Uh, the, oh, uh, hey, look at that. Well, went to, really small. Yeah, wow. Went to Elmhurst and went to York High School. You guys are all talking about DuPage and everything. And so yeah. uh, went to Southern Illinois University and I was on the film society there. And uh, we saw this movie called Hollywood Boulevard. And it was directed by Joe Dante and Alan Arkish because they were in the editing room of New World, Roger Corman's company. And they uh, were dying to direct. And so Roger gave him 60 grand. So they used outtakes and footage from other movies, like Girls in Bikinis. It's a Roger Corman movie with machine guns, and they cut to the Filipino mm -hmm. army dying. And so they made this movie about a murder on a movie set called Hollywood Boulevard. We thought it was great. So when Russ and I graduated um, Armandale, I you know, drove out uh, to LA with everything I owned in my 74 blue Dodge Dart Swinger with a script and a typewriter and TV in the front seat. First place we went to was Roger Corman's company because why not? They gave break, you know, we walk in there with our student film, 16 millimeter in a can. And we walk into the woman at the, uh, the receptionist and, you know, basically said, hey, you gave your break, breaks to Peter Bogdanovich and Martin Scorsese. Why not us? <laughs> you know, and she wrote, kind of rolled her eyes. And then we said, you know, is Alan Arkish and Joe Dante here? And as luck would have it, they were sitting right there in the lobby. And we went up to them and gushed about Hollywood Boulevard. And we said, oh, my God, it's the greatest thing. We knew lines. You saw the movie? We said, yes, we love it. And so um, would you look at our student films, please? And so because they're nice guys, they said, sure. And then the receptionist said, hey, maybe they're not so horrible. You guys want to earn 15 bucks? Show up at uh, Griffith Park tomorrow at 7 a.m. You're going to be mutants. We said, of okay, course you are. Yes. Of course we are. And so there in Griffith Park in the very famous cave, it's where the Batmobile drove out in the television series. Roger Corman filmed a lot of 50s drive-in sci-fi movies at this cave. And they cut ping pong balls in half and they glued them over our eyes. And we wore rags that said Western costume Papillon. And it's what the lepers wore in the movie Papillon uh, with <laughs> Dustin Hoffman and Steve McQueen. And they said, we need the mutants right away. It's 7.30 by Three in the afternoon, they hadn't used us. One guy pulled the ping pong balls off and said, I don't, I can't take it. And so finally they said, hey, you guys want to do ex, uh, stunt work? We said, sure. And so Russ and I uh, just, you know, waddled toward the camera. They yelled now, and then we ran backwards and they would put in the laser effect. So we'd look like we were shot by guns, laser guns. And so they said, you guys are great. We're going to need you later. And then... Uh, David Carradine and Playmate of the Year, Claudia Jennings, were the last people out of the mutant cave, and we had to stop them. And so they gave us fake blood, and all David had to do was run the sword between our body and the arm, like when you guys, you know, when, when you play <laughs> as a kid, right? He couldn't do it. He stabbed Russ and I in our stomach and our thigh and our chest. Oh uh, but it was great. We got killed by David Carradine. We were a mutant, so it, we're living the Hollywood lifestyle, and then Three days later, Alan and Joe called us and they uh, we went into the New World editing rooms on Selma in Hollywood. And they said, hey, you know, your student films are pretty funny. Here's a script called Girls Gym. 
uh, it needs a rewrite. So take any 20 pages out and make it funny. And we said, okay. And that was our assignment. And so we went to my kitchen table in my studio apartment across the street from Universal Studios. And I had no money. I was doing extra work and sneaking out of Universal Studios and eating craft service while, they, while I watched them film Rockford Files. I mean, I had nothing. And so, sure, let's do this. So we took 20 pages out and, you know, our influences were Jerry Lewis and Woody Allen and the Three Stooges and the Marx Brothers. And we just, you know, uh, did 20 pages and they liked them. And they said, great, we want to hire you to rewrite the script. We passed the test. And um, uh, we'll get you in the Writers Guild and we want you guys to be in the movie as well and act. We said, okay, <laughs> sure. <laughs> and, and then it was going to happen very quickly. And then the director of the Mutant movie uh, got replaced by Alan. So Alan Arkish had to go direct that. So I had to get a job. And I got a job as a Universal Studios tour guide. So while being a tour guide during the day, Russ and I would write the script at night. And I mentioned Russ because Russ is the guy in the movie who is shoved into the lockers. He's the freshman. That's my right. Well, the poor nerd. Yeah. Yeah. The poor guy. The freshman. Hmm. Yeah. And so, uh, so Russ and I wrote um, uh, the script uh, at night while I was a tour guide during the day. And it was pretty great, you know, because um, when we got the first, you know, when Alan liked our pages, he took us to the corner of Vine and Selma. And there is Preston Sturge's star on the Walk of Fame. And he pointed down to it and he said, this should be our goal, to write something as good as him because he's my hero. And I had only been out of college like three months and I'm thinking, oh my God, I'm living my dream. I'm working with the director who loves Preston Sturges just like I do. And Alan interpreted our silence of being in awe as ignorance. And he said, you do know who Preston Sturges is, don't you? We said, oh my God, it's all this travels, Hello, Concrete Hero. And he said, yes. And he took us for pizza and he said what he wanted to do with the movie, he dreamed of the Yardbirds coming to his school as a kid and blowing it up. That was Alan's dream. So we infused Alan's dream into that. And all of our influences were the same, whether it's Frank Tashlin or Jerry Lewis. And Alan said, I need you guys to be on the set, you know, so... We were on the, the set, you know, first time screenwriters being asked by a director to be on the set is, happens about as often as Haley's Comet arriving. And right. um, it, was, it was just a great experience writing the script. And, you know, we would give Alan, you know, our draft and he'd have notes. And it was pretty exciting. Meantime, in the script, it was always called The Group because we didn't know who the, the band was going to be. And... Um, you know, and as you guys have seen the movie, it's kind of like, you know, some people called it a, uh, you know, like a 50s drive-in movie meets a beach blanket bingo movie kind of on acid, you know, one right. person called it that. And it's just, <laughs> just, just kind of crazy. And, you know, um, so when they started looking at bands, they looked at Devo and Cheap Trick was going to be close to doing it, but they wanted too much money. So they got the mm. Ramones who wanted half the amount of money. But, I would have um, loved Devo in this. <laughs> yeah, so but well. they were, you know, um, it, it, in Cheap Trick in hindsight, it would have been great because they had the good-looking singer that Riff Randall would have been attracted to and all that kind of had the dream <laughs> and, but And they had Live at Budokan came out the same year as the movie was released, so that would have been helpful. But the Ramones are just perfect, you know? <laughs> They're yeah. just perfect. And um, the first time we met the Ramones, Alan Arkish invited Russ and I to his house. And his house is just wall-to-wall albums. And, um, uh, and we're going to show, he's going to show a 16 millimeter print of A Hard Day's Night. And so we're going to, first time we meet the Ramones, and he wanted to show the Ramones not to be afraid of lip syncing. You have to remember this is before MTV. Right. So... He's going to show Hard Day's Night, and the Ramones couldn't believe it. They go, wait a second. He looks at the, rec the rec Alan's record collection. You like the Grateful Dead and you like us? Well, Alan worked at the Fillmore East. He ran the lights and everything in the board, and so he saw every band. He loved, you know, jazz and rock and roll and everything. And he goes, of course. And um, so we watched Hard Day's Night with the Ramones, which was kind of an amazing experience. <laughs> and so we're watching it, and... Um, it comes to the scene very early in the movie where the band is in the train car and the girls are going crazy trying to put their hands through this, the, the, the wire mesh to get to them. Yeah. 
and they're singing and uh alan says see they're 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 lip syncing they said no no no, that's the beatles they're really singing so alan has to stop the projector and explain that they recorded the song first and then they lip synced and it was hard for them to comprehend because it was the beatles they were they love the beatles and so alan referenced you know well that's how bing crosby did it and fred astaire did it and gene kelly did it and elvis right. presley did it and we find out that joey excuse me johnny is a huge film fan has 300 movies on tape at that time and loved old movies knew all those movies and so they understood you know and so alan i i saw what a director did he just talked to his stars is like you know you know just like connecting with them on a musical level it was amazing so then we started to write the script for uh, the ramones and russ and i were so inspired we went back and didn't know that we were supposed to be paid for every rewrite <laughs> we just got so inspired we wrote all these bits for the ramones because we wanted them to be like the beatles and alan yeah. arkish looked at it and he said these are great they'll never be able to say any of this stuff. <laughs> oh boy, right. Well, yeah, yeah. I, I actually heard about that, that there was a lot more lines written for them and just had to keep whittling it back. Yeah, they, they couldn't say too much dialogue, but um, Joey was the sweetest, nicest guy in the world, just the nicest guy. And Johnny was an intense guy. We could talk movies and he loved Buster Keaton, but I always felt like maybe if I said the wrong thing, he'd punch me. And so, um, <laughs> Uh, and sometimes I was told to go into their trailer and say, hey, run lines with them. But sometimes they would, you know, uh, I, I, the rumor was they were doing vitamin Q, which was quaaludes. And oh. so, uh, but, yeah, but they were just, they were sweet, nice guys. And, um, uh, and, and the, but the shoot, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, you asked me about the screenwriting of it. And here I'm going off on the production. It, I'm no, I, it's, it's I think fine. it's great. And I just had one question because you said you like spent all that time writing all those bits. Um, were any of them like repurposed and given to other people, or was there anything that like you really wish could have gotten into the film that just didn't well, because of the Ramones? That, that, that's a great question, Dana. So um, it you've seen the movie. It's yes. it's just really silly, and that's you know um, <laughs> that's the whole point. And you know. Um, so as you know, it's a running bit that Russ as the freshman as the nerdy guy gets shoved into the locker and then he's in a trophy case and then he's in a filing cabinet, right? So and he winds up in a pot at the end getting boiled alive. Yes. Uh, well, yeah, that's helper, yeah. Yes, that's in the, uh, the, the school uh, kitchen uh, when they're taking over. And trust me, uh, maybe uh, uh, Bob remembers this, but I remember in grammar school and in high school they would have the tuesday surprise and we never knew what it was so yeah the cafeteria ladies had to use that as you know come on yeah um, years later i did a song with adam sandler I, I wrote a song with him for one of his albums called lunch lady land oh, i know that song yeah sloppy yeah. joe yeah Up, sloppy joe yeah <laughs> same stuff the same material one of, <laughs> one of the things that also but anyways, I'm sorry, Dana, uh, well, back to your thing. So one of the running bits that we wrote was that when the Ramones are in, the, uh, in their dressing room at the concert, um, they open up their closet and we had it, we wrote that they, the closet is nothing but leather jackets and blue jeans all in dry cleaner bags. And so- <laughs> That's a great bit. That's it's a great bit. bit. They didn't want to make fun of their image, so we had to cut that. So then- oh. We had um, uh, D.D. open up his base case and Russ, the freshman, was going to be in there and go, oh, Mr. <laughs> Ramones, please, yeah. <laughs> and, and if you notice, oh, Russ, uh, Russ as the freshman is dressed intentionally like Harold Lloyd in a silent movie called The Freshman yeah. uh, with the beanie and all that kind of stuff. Right. And um, uh, which was, you know, we could say homage, but we stole it. And um, <laughs> but. When he's talking, like when it's Russ is uh, hassled by the hall monitors in the hallway, if you remember, you know, uh, he's, he's doing Bob Hope, you know, I'm allergic to violence, I break out in blood. You know, yeah. he's, doing, he's doing Bob Hope, which Woody Allen then took, you know, and so, um, uh, and we called Tom Roberts Roberts because we stole so many gags from Bob Hope, so he was Roberts. Oh. 
Yeah. Alan Arkish, the story is by Alan and Joe Dante. And so Alan's, because when we looked at the treatment of the, the script, there was a character named Eagle Bauer, and both Russ and I said, wait, there's a character named Eagle Bauer from the, the uh, Ernst Lubitsch movie, Designed for Living. And he goes, yes, Eagle Bauer and Strump. So we bonded over our uh, love of old movies and references. Wow. And um, we wrote the Clint Howard part as Phil Silvers in a TV show called Sergeant Bilko. He was always like a con man. Wow, 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 wow. Yeah. Yeah. And so we wrote him like that. Yeah. Okay. Now I did have a question specifically about Eagle Bauer. Um, we were talking about, you know, SNL had premiered about four years before this movie. And we talked about kind of how a lot of this movie felt like kind of short sketches that were stitched together and kind of made into a narrative. Was there, um, an inspiration from the early seasons of SNL. It kind of felt like it had a lot of that same energy to me. Am I, am I off base about that? Uh, well, we both loved Saturday Night Live, watched it religiously. And, um, you know, it was like one of those shows being in a, in a dorm room where, you know, you're passing and joining going, oh my God, they're doing comedy for us, you know? Right. And it was great. But I don't think it was a conscious thing. I and mean, it was like, because Alan had the same references as we did, whether it was Monty Python or Jerry Lewis or the Three Stooges, it was just all those influences kind of thrown in together. And, um, <clears throat> you know, it was, uh, um, I don't think it was a conscious thing, but clearly, uh, like in the, 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 the uh, sequence when uh, PJ is in her bedroom and yeah. she smokes <laughs> a joint into fantasy. Well, Alan's reference is Julie London singing Cry Me a River in the Frank Tashlin movie, The Girl Can't Help It, because Tom Yule is fantasizing and she sings that song. And so right. Alan's reference was that movie. And so, um, and when she looks through the albums, it's Dylan and The Who, those are Alan's favorite albums. And, um, uh, but you know, when she smokes a joint, when it sh the movie first showed on MTV, they cut out the scene where she smokes the joint. Um, but um, too risque. But it was, I think all of our references, all of our influences were just kind of thrown in a blender and we hit work, you know, and, you know, it all just kind of spilled out. I don't think anything was so conscious except like him doing Bob Hope or, you know, Harold Lloyd and stuff like that. Um, uh, but it was, it, it was so much fun. It's like, you know, it's like we really did become like a family, you know, on the set. As I said, Alan invited us on the set to be there every day. I remember the first day on the set was the first time Russ and I ever met Roger Corman. Um, and I've only met him a handful of times, but Alan gave me Roger's handwritten notes as a gift uh, on the script. Oh, wow. And one of them says, a giant mouse, I think I'm too old for this. <laughs> <laughs> now, that and, you, now that you mentioned Monty Python, I totally feel that. I was like a huge Monty Python fan. Watched it with my dad growing up a ton. Um, switching gears a little bit, but like when you're talking about inspiration, um, we talked about this a little bit earlier, but the female characters are very strong in this movie. And that was kind of an unusual sort of thing at the time, especially for kind of this type of genre. So curious um, if you could talk a little bit about uh, that and uh, what your inspiration was there. Absolutely. Um, and I've done other interviews where people said, did you realize you wrote a feminist movie? And I go, um, <laughs> uh, I, I, I don't think we realized it at the time. That character was Alan's brainstorm. He said, you know, she should talk in song lyrics. And it was always uh, a female lead. It was never, you know, it was always going to be her uh, friendship with, De uh, with Day, the Kate Rambeau character. And when it was just kind of taken for granted and, you know, Russ and I, uh, didn't think anything of it. We didn't, you know, I mean, she is the lead and how lucky were we to get PJ Souls? You know, she was just amazing. I remember we all saw Halloween like the same weekend and we said, oh my God, she needs to, uh, to be the lead. But um, I don't think it was a, a conscious thing. We, you know, it's like, um, as I said, our influence were a lot of those older movies. And so, um, I mean, when you look at the 1930s movies, Catherine Hepburn and Rosalind Russell and Claudette Colbert are reporters and mayors and, you know, right. they're the heads of every right. company, right? And then after World War II, you know, it's kind of the, you know, the Eisenhower years and sadly back into the kitchen. And it's like, 
but you know, we always saw PJ and Riff Randall is, you know, is like the driving force that I guess we just didn't think anything that we were doing anything special. Of course it should be a female lead. It was not a, it wasn't like, Oh my God, we should do it this way. It just seemed natural. And that was Alan's, uh, it was Alan's idea. And to, and so, and then when PJ came on board, you know, she just brought it to life. You know, we went over it with her and, and, um, you know, I think, you know, because it was such a low budget, $300,000, but then the rumor was that Roger Corman took 20 grand out to repair his storm windows. Um, <laughs> so, um, but, you know, she, she just embodied it perfectly. And um, it didn't seem like we were doing anything uh, unique or different that it was a female lead. And we, of course, only saw it, you know, it was that era of the 70s, you know, when, you know, Altman and Hal Ashby and, you know, and, and those kind of movies were being infused with the old Hollywood. It's like kind of mashing up things to, to make a better kind of film. And so, um, uh, I, I don't know if I answered your question perfectly, but it just seemed natural that of course it should be, uh, sh that she should be the driving force going up against Ms. Togar. Um, yeah, no, that's awesome. Fantastic. Um, is is uh, Togar, um, some kind of, uh, what is the thing for a word that's backwards? <laughs> like an anagram. Um, right. It's an anagram for anything? Um, not that I know of. Alan said it was, you know, I mean, we just wrote her as just like so stern beyond belief. And um, I did a couple years where I was sentenced to Catholic school and grammar school. So that yeah. was easy to, yeah. And I swear <laughs> to God, teachers in my junior high in middle school actually said this will go on your record for the rest of your life i swear oh, that. we had that in, in the 2000s i was still doing that in high school myself yeah wow. so they really said that that's how elmhurst was um <laughs> and uh but um one of the this is a pretty cool thing so the second day of shooting uh the first day of shooting we shot eagle bauer with Vince and uh, Day up on Mulholland Drive where they're in the, the car. Yes, yes. You're young. That, that's, that's on Mulholland Drive. There's like a multi-million dollar home built there on that location. The second day was in PJ's bedroom where we did not only the fantasy sequence with the Ramones, but also the scene with uh, Day and um, Riff Randall talking, um, uh, you know, who they want to go out with and stuff. And um, on that day, Grady Sutton came to the set. So Grady Sutton was the school superintendent, if you remember. And mm -hmm. so Russ and I kind of freaked out because Grady Sutton was in the bank dick with W.C. Fields. Wow. And, Holy and, cow. And so I met Judd Apatow once for about 30 seconds, and he says, I don't know if I should be more impressed that you met Grady Sutton or the Ramones. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but... Grady Sutton, taught, my God, he was in the bank dick. He was in My Mad Godfrey, and he was in My Fair Lady. And we, and I swear to God, his obituary said those movies in Rock and Roll High School, the only time those movies. That's crazy. Wow. But we went to Grady, and we said, what was it like to work with W.C. Fields? You worked in so many movies with him. And he was very old, and he said, which one was the bank dick? And so that was a little. Oh. <laughs> but for that, for that person the first person we thought of was a guy named joe besser who was one of the later three yes, students. yeah three students, yeah and yeah. he's the guy who said not so hard right you know <laughs> and yeah. and so alan said hey here's his phone number you guys call him and he lived in north hollywood and we called him and his wife answered the phone and said something like he can't work he'll lose some kind of pension or health benefits and so <laughs> so my god grady sutton would was perfect you know and so um uh i'm sorry i'm going off on a tangent here but yeah but that, <laughs> yeah i just want to say this is awesome yeah absolutely. <laughs> I, I i am really enjoying hearing about this movie and all the all the you know influences and the sort of time in hollywood that you did it and just your journey at, at this juncture is really uh really super fun and i gotta say the spirit of the movie is uh great and uh it i, I had a question um can i ask you a question brian oh sure absolutely yeah um how did you get the ramones to sit this is a lot of them on screen 
Yes. You know what I mean? A band or somebody who's not in showbiz, you, you, you really want to use them for one day for like three hours because a movie set is a weird uh, limbo place where you have to redo your action over and over. And I'm right. sure you didn't have them do that because you can tell. Um, please, God, tell me they didn't do more than two takes and this is the best one you've got. <laughs> <laughs> but... Um, but, you know, even at that, you had to have these guys around the set for days. Yes. I don't know how, you, how did you do that? And how did you get the attention well, you, out of them? Well, Alan was amazing. He just, you know, just Alan is just boundful energy. And we're, we were all like in our 20s. We were just all like full of energy anyways. So in the dressing room sequence, uh, D, uh, excuse me. Yeah, DD has more than one line, but all I can say is, Pizza's here, and I think that took 10 takes. You don't do Ugh. 10 takes in a Roger Gunn movie. Um, hey, but, pizza. That was awesome. Yeah, <laughs> pizza's favorite. here. He, he couldn't say much more than that, but Johnny loved movies. Johnny loved movies, so he kind of adapted a little bit more. So if you, if you look at the movie, it's Joey and Johnny do most of the stuff. You know, uh, Marky doesn't do much, and Dee Dee, you know, there's a rumor that Dee Dee is wearing emergency room hospital bands on his wrist because he had to go so many times during the shooting. Don't know if that's true, but, mm -hmm. um, um, but he, uh, but I have to tell you, Joey was such a good sport. I mean, we'll, you know, that's in the script, Joey more riboflavin and wheat germ, you know, I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. he looks so sickly, you know, and, um, <laughs> and Johnny got into it, you know, Hey, things, you know, sure have changed since we got kicked out of high school. You know, yeah. Johnny, you know, new movies and stuff. They, but you're right, Bob. They did not like sitting around too much. But back to one of the things you said earlier, those scenes, those concert scenes, that's a live performance. Those were all shot live. Really? And wow. At, at well, the rock amazing. scene. And a lot of people think it's the definitive uh, film, uh, you know, uh, capture of the Ramones uh in concert. So what it was is at the Roxy. And so this is so Roger Crumman, but I think it was the producer Mike Fennell's genius. And so we can't afford to pay those guys. We'll put it in the paper. Ramones concert and they'll pay to get in, right? So oh, wow. they would genius. Genius. So they would film like the five or six songs that they did. Then everyone they can't do take after take. The crowd is getting angry. You see in the crowd what kind of crowd it is. It was every new wave and punk fan in Los Angeles, they would get angry. So, okay, you're gone. Next batch comes in, they have to pay. Then we do another take. Those guys get angry, they're done. We have to do another take. We shot for about 18 hours. Oh, um, shit. And it was one after another. And it's terrific. I mean, Alan just, you know, as I said, he worked, Alan worked at the Fillmore East. He knew how to film a rock concert. Alan's knowledge of uh, rock and roll is encyclopedia. And that's a word, right? Anyways. Encyclopedia. Um, <laughs> encyclopedia. All good. Yeah. And so he was, it's just wonderful. And uh, that, that is, that's absolutely live. That's absolutely live. And yes, we, we brought in a giant mouse and we had, you know. Um, uh, right. So, uh, but before that, if you remember, so she's outside the theater a waiting in line. It's the Mayan Theater downtown Los Angeles, which is a beautiful theater. At the time, it was showing pornographic films. So uh, when they used to do uh, show things in theaters, so literally we're there and guys in raincoats would come out and they'd see an entire film crew set up and they would like run away. <laughs> it was great, you know. But I mean, if you look at it, they're waiting in line and, you know, as I said, our influences are old movies. People are having milk delivered, you know. I mean, right, sure. the, like, you know, it's very, very silly. Uh, but Absolutely. Rodney Bingenheimer, Rodney Bingenheimer, a big uh, uh, DJ uh, from KROQ, he's he's in the backstage scenes and stuff. I'm sorry, uh, someone wanted to ask a question. I apologize. No, no. Listen, I, I think um, I think we've we've got a lot here. I, I this was some fantastic stories, and I think that we all kind of got a a pretty good feel for um, a lot of what went into this movie, especially considering that we weren't super familiar with it in the first place. So um, I really want to thank you for yeah. coming on and kind of sharing some of the background of the process with us here. Um, I, I you really did great a lot to the podcast. I love it. If I can tell you one more story, is that okay? Absolutely. Yeah. Please. 
Okay, so before the shoot, it was the Monday after Thanksgiving of 1978, and PJ Souls had just married Dennis Quaid. So we do the four-week shoot, just like insane, crazy four weeks, just so much uh, intensity. After that, um, on Christmas Day, PJ invited us to a uh, Christmas dinner. So she invited Alan and myself and the Ramones for Christmas dinner at their house. So it sounds like the worst NBC special, Christmas with the Ramones, or maybe it's the best. I don't know. Um, uh, uh, and, and so she put on a Norman Rockwell-worthy spread. Ham and turkey and sweet, just everything, just a whole table full of just the most beautiful food that, you know, like bon appetit. And so um, I remember, of course, they're always wearing leather jackets and jeans. Honest to God, guys, they always, they never not wore them. They always. Yeah. And um, Johnny said, what's that? And I think PJ said, that's sweet potatoes. That's like, you know, yams. I, d I don't eat. I, I, I can't eat that. And they refused to eat the turkey and everything. And PJ went to Ralph's and bought him steak. Now, the legend has that we ordered pizza, but I don't think there was a pizza place open on uh, Christmas Day. But so sure. she did make a steak. And so I thought Christmas with the Ramones was a good way to, to end this. And um, I think I think there's a book in there, Eat Like the Ramones. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <a menu. laughs> The Ramones a, diet, yeah. yeah a very true. short menu book. <laughs> if, you, if you need to gain weight, I don't know, they weren't heavy, so... I, I no, don't they were sickly thin. Sickly <laughs> very, thin. Very, very thin. Very, By the very way, thin. I always heard about Joey, that he was a sweet guy. I, I, Just, was, yeah. I never met him. I was in a room with him once in New York. I was at the Improv, and he came in and sat at another table. But I, I, I've always heard and read that he was particularly gentle and you know nice and sweet which is interesting because you hear so many stories about so many of the guys in the early punk scene just being like awful people i mean it's johnny rotten or i mean especially sid vicious like just terrible mean people so it's good to hear that he really was like a sweetheart in real life it seems like he, he really like was and there's a book out uh, by Joey's brother, Mickey Lee, called um, I Slept with Joey Ramone, because they shared the same room. And it's a terrific book, but it's, it's sad because um, what no one knew, or at least I, no one did at the time, was that Joey suffered from OCD, uh, a crippling OCD. And, really? Yes. And so they sent him to doctors and medical institutions. So those songs, Give Me Shock Therapy, and all that, those are very personal songs, Teenage Lobotomy, because he sure. was going to doctors and stuff. Those were personal songs. I mean, you know, you know, don't think of these as, yeah. you know, you know, maybe Ed Sheeran writes a personal song while meeting a, an attractive woman at a party, but right. the Ramones were writing personal songs, and Joey particularly. And then the last time wow. I saw him, he hugged me goodbye. And he was just a sweet, nice guy. And the fact that he hugged me goodbye, finding out that later he was OCD, it was, it was quite touching. And, um, yeah. But uh, it's a terrific book. It's a terrific yeah. book. He was a very That's, nice guy. That is very sweet. I think that is a, a perfect moment to uh, dismount here. Um, again, thank you very much for, for joining us. Thank you for making this movie. Um, yeah. I think this is, this is a gem that not enough people that I know are familiar with. And I, I think that it, it really does deserve to be uh, recognized and appreciated for really being a, a fantastic kind of a time capsule of a, of a movie. So thank you very much. Richard, that. That, was, that was the greatest. It was so that great was awesome. to hear you talk about it. Thank you so much for thank joining you. us. You know, you made my night. You made my well, night. <laughs> thanks for the invite, Bob. Thank you, Brian. Uh, thank you, Megan. Thank you, Dana. And uh, I'm sorry, I forgot Hearn's name. Sorry. Her? Dave Hearn? Hey, either way. Whatever. Thank you. It just says Hearn. Yeah. Anyways, thanks for the invite, guys. Yeah, we'll thank be in thank touch. you. Richard, let's be in touch. Okay. Yeah, have a good one. Take care, guys. Thanks. Bye. Good night. Bye. Let me know when it's on. <laughs> Will do. Brian, All right. So amazing. That was, that was awesome. fantastic. Unbelievable. That was just awesome. Yeah. Got some, I mean, some, some real insider great stories here. I, I really appreciate you for uh, reaching out to him and getting him on here.
right. We are we are all good here. Uh, we did it, guys. <laughs> did it. Good that job, awesome. Brian. That was so yeah. good. Bob, that was that was fantastic. Thank you very much. You got it. It's great uh, to meet all of you. Thank you for caring about movies so damn much. <laughs> yeah. Wow. We do. Uh, there was so much more cool. that we didn't talk about. Oh, there's a lot. Really cool. Hey guys, thanks so much. I hope you didn't mind. I hung out and listened. Um, no, hey, I thank you. Into something more comfortable. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. This was. It was a ton of fun. Um, if you're interested, that song by Paul McCartney and Wings. Warren Beatty asked Paul McCartney to write that song for the movie Heaven Can Wait. And then after he paid for it by, for a lot of money, he didn't use it. And if you listen to it, there's clarinet and stuff. Remember Warren Beatty played clarinet in the movie, and it's the exact same sound from the movie. They didn't use it. The producer, Mike Fennell, found out about it and tracked it down and got it. That wow. is That's amazing. Awesome. That's wow. great. That's why, um, yeah. And inside the mouse, the mouse, the giant mouse was created by Rob Bottin. Rob Bottin was the drummer in the band in Star Wars. Remember, they go into the cantina. Oh, the cantina. Yeah. yeah. Wow. He's, <laughs> Rob is like a master monster maker. Just, he did the, the wolf in uh, the howling. And um, so he's inside the mouse, the giant mouse. And when they're outside the high school and she says, I hate mouse work. Remember, she's wearing the apron. Yeah. Uh, she goes, my children are in there. I'm sorry. That's PJ's voice. So, but that was probably, oh. yeah. Um, also, I'm honored that you, <laughs> I'm honored that you thought that joke, um, he's so boring, his brother's an only child is funny. I gotta give credit where credit is due. That was a Johnny Carson joke making fun of um, Tommy Newsom, who was the boring band leader, right? Oh. He said, he's so boring, his brother's an only child. I stole it, I admit it. Years later, I met I Michael Berry. Michael Berry and Jim Mahalan wrote for the Carson show and um, uh, the Letterman show. I told him that, I stole it, and he goes, I wrote that joke. Oh. I loved it. I, I, I said, I stole it, and he goes, eh, it's fine. It's it's okay to steal sometimes. Yes, um, and thank you, Bob, for mentioning Nick Lowe. Uh, that's pretty darn cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a Listen, great song. That was song. fantastic. And um, it's funny because I loved hearing you guys talk about it. It was it, it warmed uh, whatever cockles are of my heart. <laughs> and, um, it, it was very nice of you guys to talk so glowingly about it. I'm very flattered, and and Alan Arkus, the director was just an amazing guy. He, he won an Emmy for directing The Temptations. He's gone to have an amazing, amazing career directing another Yeah, he really movie. did. He get, did Get Crazy, and you should track down the original Elvis Meets Nixon movie. He did it before they did a recent one. His is much better. On Amazon, yeah. Okay, I'll check that out. Alan's a real mensch. He's just, he teaches at the AFI. He's a great guy. Thank you for knowing Alley Cat. That was the most boring song. <laughs> Oh, Dana. I have so, no idea about that one. And don't look too closely at the girls' gym scene because PJ and Day, well, are in their mid to late 20s, and all those other young girls are from a high school gymnastics team that the producer got. Uh, that explains are, all the ring work and everything. Yeah, gotcha. absolutely. All right. And so, anyways, I hope you didn't mind. I, I stuck around and I listened and I no. had to throw these out. Listen, I hope you liked it. Sounds great. Yeah, Thank you. you guys are terrific. Thank you for the invite, Mr. O. And uh, this was just an amazing time. You guys are all wonderful. Thank you very Great, much. Man. Great to Thank see you, you again. Take, Take care, care, guys. Thanks. All right. Bye. Everybody have a good night. Bye. You too. Bye. Bye. Take care. Thanks, Brian, Dana, Megan, and Hearn. Thanks.